0: So, welcome to Plodcast, episode 75. Good to have you here. Thanks for coming along. Most of you are probably riding in your car. Hope you don't mind if I hop in the back seat and have a little visit, right? So, um, one of the things I uh, do, uh, keeping myself current, keeping myself abreast, is I subscribe to uh, a number of magazines. Um, and my routine is to I let the magazines accumulate and when i have a stack of them that's sitting there in my study at home um on a saturday i i will just uh sit down and take the stack and wor- work through all the uh, all the magazines at one go that's how it usually happens and i and i i subscribe to various um, magazines I, I won't list them all but let let me just give you um a few of the political magazines that i subscribe to i I subscribe to National Review. I subscribe to Chronicles. I subscribe to the Weekly Standard, um, uh, Citizen, uh, for example. And uh, the reason I the reason I'm bringing this topic up is the Weekly Standard is one of them that I subscribe to. And as you may have seen in the news, the Weekly Standard, uh, uh, founded by Fred Barnes and uh, Bill uh, Crystal, uh, is. Uh, shuttering, it's uh, is being shuttered. Uh, I think by the end of the year. So the Weekly Standard is no more. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, about this. Um, now, there, uh, the president, for example, uh, did a little catcalling when uh, when the Weekly Standard folded. Um, Bill Kristol is probably. Um, you might regard him as the prince of the never Trumpers. So he was um, uh, conservative spokesman who um, couldn't abide Donald Trump and just was never Trump and stayed never Trump and got and got never Trumpier. So um, and for many people who are uh, the people who are on the Trump train and have uh, sort of ask Donald Trump into their heart to be their personal savior. There's a level of ded- dedication there on the one end. And then there's the, uh, the 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 people who are diametrically opposed to Trump and all that he stands for. And th- because they say, uh, like Bill Kristol would say, uh, uh, Donald Trump has betrayed conservatism. And there are a number of sound arguments to back that up but the thing that's striking is uh, how how uh, personalities get into this because i've seen uh some i've seen some very real re, very real instances of people abandoning their conservative principles and i've seen it with some people on the trump train uh all of a sudden they're, they don't care about free markets anymore you know they they don't care about that anymore Um, but I've also seen an abandonment of, of, uh, conservative principles just as striking on the, uh, on the never Trump end of things. So, um, when you, you, when I look at some of the things that, um, Bill Kristol has said, some of the things that David French has, uh, put out or some of the things that Max Boot is doing, uh, it's, it's possible to, uh, it's possible to go there's as i'm fond of saying there's a ditch on both sides of the road and you can drive into that ditch on both sides of the road now uh if out of the political magazines that i've uh, mentioned chronicles national review uh national review i've subscribed to since i was in high school so decades and decades i just have national review and i are uh, are just good friends regardless of what they're talking you know i j- i just like national review but out of these magazines, I, my position is probably closer to um, the editorial policy of Chronicles than any of the other magazines uh, that I subscribe to. But I would read the I'd read the Weekly Standard, which is supposed to be this neocon compromise thing, and there were a lot of things about it that I thought were admirable and fun. And I I would um, read the Weekly Standard and enjoy it, and I would read National Review, and I would. Enjoy it, and I would read chronicles and, and enjoy it, and so on. Now, the th- the thing that I um, don't really get is how political differences like this can be turned into the battle between uh, light and darkness, between the good principalities and powers and the evil principalities and powers. Uh, Now, of course, on some political issues, let's say um, same-sex mirage or uh, the abortion carnage, those things, those sorts of things really are uh, issues of the battle between light and dark. But trade policy, you know, um, immigration policy. So I've got certain strong views, developed views, views that I've thought through on uh, immigration policy and what I think that what I think our trade policy ought to be, and and so on, but I can easily envision someone disagreeing with me on matters like that, and and have that other person not be an orc, <laughs> not have uh, not be one of the minions of Sauron, right? So, uh, and and then. So I get these magazines, and I I read them, and I'd say, okay, my center of gravity is probably closest to Chronicles here, Uh, not the National Review. I differ with this and that and the other. But I really appreciate these things about National Review, and I really appreciate these things about uh, the Weekly Standard. And then I look at my Twitter feed and find uh, people uh, pouring vitriol on one another over, over issues that they ought not to be you know they ought not to be they shouldn't be doing that so with the uh, weekly standard uh the my understanding is that the investors or the backers or the financial supporters uh pulled the plug on uh, on it and it was because of the um, unrelenting never trump line i don't think you i don't think the problem was that they had never trump um people there or that that was the position they held, but that it had gotten so personal. So um, it's a shame. Uh, looks like I've got, I'm going to have one less magazine in my stack to be uh, working through. And although I am a paleocon, I'm not a neocon like Weekly Standard. I'm a paleocon. I'm an old guy, you know, I tell people in my politics I'm slightly to the left of King Arthur. Um, so it'd be, it'd be hard to find a magazine that would be exactly up, up my uh, alley. But there it is. Um, let's, um, let's call good and evil those things that really are issues of good and evil. And let's not get uh, all spun tight over uh, things that are just a matter of sound policy or, or prudence. So my book review uh, section for um, podcast episode seventy-five is uh, "Ship of Fools" by Tucker Carlson. Uh, Tucker Carlson has a um, Fox News talk show. He's um, um, and he's got this book out, "Ship of Fools," and it's about how um, America's elites have basically betrayed uh, have basically betrayed the country. Now it's interesting. Uh, as I picked this book by Tucker Carlson, uh, let me hearken back earlier in this podcast. I was talking about the Weekly Standard. Um, one of the things that Bill Kristol did, I think, that helped stick a fork in the Weekly Standard, is that he he just winged off and accused uh, Tucker Carlson, who is um, uh, more conservative than Kristol is, and 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 not although Tucker Carlson's not a big Fan of the president, he's closer to some of the president's um, views on immigration and whatnot than Bill Kristol would be, and um, and without any evidence or backing or substan- substantiation at all, Kristol accused Tucker Carlson of supporting uh, slavery. You know that you that you're a, a fan of slavery. Uh, that's the kind of uh, personal. Vindictiveness, personal vitriol—that I think got the plug pulled on, on the Weekly Standard. It was not so much the editorial position as the uh, vigor and uh, enthusiasm and um, acid that was involved in some of the debates. Well, anyway, Tucker Carlson was um, a a player in this, and in this book, *Ship of Fools*, he he tackles a number of uh, a number of different political issues and shows how, basically, America's ruling elites are uh, asleep at the switch. They're not doing their job, they're not, they're not being, and they're not being held accountable as they uh, fail to do their job. And, uh, and he gets into a little bit—well, uh, not just a little bit. Um, it's a very good book for evaluating how on earth someone like Donald Trump— could be elected president of the United States. And he has a line earlier, uh, early in the book which says this. He said, happy, happy nations don't elect Donald Trump as their president. He said, desperate nations do. And I thought that that was profound. Uh, this was not uh, a bunch of people uh, so thrilled with how their lives are going, th- so thrilled with how the economy is going, so thrilled with how everything is going that they said, "And I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm going to vote for someone who represents my values." Uh, no, Donald Trump was very much a uh, a reaction, a blowback, a uh, a hail Mary pass on the part on the part of forgotten um, forgotten Americans. So people who have felt despised, neglected, rejected, uh, looked down on, uh, all the inhabitants of flyover country um, in, you know, the, the, that part in between New York and L.A. Um, had gotten to the point of desperation. And, and Tucker put his finger on, on it when he said, happy nations don't elect Donald Trump president, desperate nations do. And he goes through and and shows how um, and this lines up actually. I, I'm I'm reading various books that that uh, line up with this. I've I've referred uh, I um, reviewed earlier a book by Kurt Schlichter called "Militant Normals." He's making the same argument. And a few years ago, I read um, I read a book by a guy named Cotevilla called "The Ruling Class," which I just got out again to read through again, because what it boils down to is every society is ruled by elites. Every society is, is ruled by people who know where the levers under the desk are. They know who to talk to. They know, you know, they know the phone number of the Kremlin they can call and, and avert a war. You know, you've got people who know what the game is. Um, it's, it's not possible to have a society of any complexity, whatever, anything bigger than a village uh, is going to require some level of specialization, some level of expertise. You're going to have to have some um, aristocratic group running the show. But what happens, and, and this is something that Tucker Carlson points out, Schlichter hits on this as well, what happens when you have a ruling elite? What happens when you have an aristocracy That takes all the perks of being an aristocrat, but exhibits none of the competence. Where uh, the 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 Greek word for best is aristos, Uh, aristocracy is the rule of the best. So, what happens when the aristocrats, the best who are ruling you, are actually the worst? What What happens when they don't know uh, that? something can cost um the, who don't know that you can't make money if you require people to sell something for less than what it costs to produce or if they don't know the difference between a boy and a girl how uh, that's not the rule of the best anymore it's not an aristocracy it's a uh, it's a uh, it's rule rule by the incompetent if you want uh example after example after example in many different areas, whether it has to do with climate change or, or immigration or, you know, whatever it has to do with. This, uh, this book is a, um, it's a quick read. Uh, you can get through it um, fairly simple, simply. Uh, Tucker uh, uh, writes engagingly. I recommend it. Yeah. So, continuing on with podcast episode 75, we come to our Martyology section. Uh, this this uh, section today won't be very long. A word for excess, uh, anacousis, is used once in the New Testament, and that's in 1 Peter 4.4. 4. This is the word for excess, anacousis. The Apostle Peter refers to the lives of unbelieving Gentiles who are given over to lust, drunkenness, revelings, parties and living this way in excess of riot. And living in this excess of riot on acousis. they believe that living moderately is just plain strange. And Peter describes it. They, if, if you're not out with them on a bender, if you if you don't in the evening throwing up in the bushes, there's something wrong with you. Um, so I'll to illustrate this, I, I'll harken back to my Navy days. I remember that there was a machinist mate. I, I would tell you his name because I, I would, I still vividly remember his name. But it's such a distinctive name that he's probably soundly converted and living a uh, living a modest and clean Christian life now. So I won't tell you his name. But he was a machinist mate on the submarine um, that I was on, and I remember he came in one morning after a real um, a bender. He'd been out on the uh, out on the town the night before, and uh, so I greeted him cheerfully uh, as he came into the, into the cruise mess. And, um, and I said, uh, hey, call him by his name, did you have a good time last night? And he, he was bleary-eyed, uh, still a little bit pie-faced. And, and um, I said, did you, have a good t- did you have a good time? And he said, I must have. I don't have any money. <laughs> um, so for all he knew... He had been knocked over the head, and uh, and robbed, uh, and he that was that was his measuring stick for whether or not he had a good time, whether or not whether or not there was any money in his wallet. So, um, for these people, living reasonable is the most unreasonable thing in the world. All right, living reasonably is the most unreasonable thing in the world. Right in the time of the sickness. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.